You are listening to the podcast of New Life Church in Wayland, Michigan. Our longing is to see zero people in our community living unchanged by Jesus. We are a church navigating the messiness of life together in community. One of our core convictions is that everyone is welcome, no one is perfect, and anything is possible. I hope you know there is a place in the family for you here. For more information on gathering times and location, check out our website. But for now, I hope God speaks powerfully to you through this word. How is everyone doing this morning? Good. Everyone have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah? What's your favorite Thanksgiving food? This has nothing to do with anything. I'm just curious. Stuffing? Green bean casserole? Potatoes? Oh, I, my, Sam's grandma makes kielbasa. Woo, it's good. Real good. Anyways, that didn't have anything to do with anything. I'm just really great. I just want to talk about food because I'm hungry. Uh, man, I'm so grateful that you guys are here. We are in the last week of our series, House of Prayer. And uh, before we jump into the sermon for today, I want to just give you a preview of where we're going in December, because uh, man, I'm really excited. And Josh did a great job uh, kind of teeing us up to talk about the Christmas services. Uh, but starting next week, we're starting a new series called Christmas Scandals, uh, which sounds like a weird name for a series. But did you actually know that we have a Savior that was born out of scandal? We do. In fact, in Matthew 1, there's a genealogy of Jesus and uh most of the time, we just view that as like the list of names that we can't pronounce. Uh, it's okay, I'm there too. Uh, but in that, in that genealogy, there's something really unique that you never, ever, ever saw in genealogies uh, during Jesus' day. There are actually five women listed in his genealogy. And every single one of those stories are stories of deep brokenness and sin and powerful redemption. And, uh, I mean, he's got prostitutes in his family line, and there's incest in his family line, and there's all kinds of deep sin and brokenness. There's widows in his family line. And so to, to see the Savior of the world being born from that family, man, I believe God still is in the business of redeeming the most broken parts of our lives. And so that's where we're going for the next few weeks leading into Christmas services. But I got I to gotta tell you, we have 500 of these to hand out. And so do everything you can to get the word out in your circles because I don't know about you, but there's a lot of people living in darkness right now. And Jesus is the light of the world. And that's going to be the theme of our Christmas services uh, for this year. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, but for now, let's go ahead and uh, pray as we dive into this morning's teachings. I'd love to just pray before we, before we jump in. God, thank you so much for who you are, for, man, just how present you are, God, with us. And even as today is the first Sunday of Advent, God, we just were reminded that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. And so, God, I pray for everybody in this room, everybody watching online, um, man, for whatever they're carrying. Even this morning already, I've prayed with people who have navigate, are navigating anxiety and um, hurt, God. And we just pray for you to speak powerfully this morning, God. May I get out of the way for what you want to say to people. God, may prayer just not be another item that we check off our spiritual to-do list, God, but may we experience the power of life-transforming prayer. God, we love you, and it's in Jesus' holy name we pray, and everybody said, amen. So my oldest daughter, Emery, she is six years old. She just turned six on Thanksgiving Day. We actually, we took her this weekend to go see The Sound of Music uh, in Grand Rapids at the Civic Theater. She is obsessed with singing. I mean, she's 
really, and she's pretty good at it too. Like she, she has a decent voice. And the other day we were laying in, in bed and I was reading her a book and um, it was a book about music. And all of a sudden we came to this page that had just a bunch of musical notes all over the page, just kind of like this. And she goes, dad, can, can you sing this for me? And I said, well, first of all, I can't sing. But second of all, like, they're just random notes on a page. I don't know what sounds they make. I don't know how to sing those. She goes, Dad, can you sing this for me? I said, Emery, I can't. Sing this for me! <laughs> okay, la, la, la. <laughs> the point is, like, as I looked at these musical notes, like, they're just random notes on the page. There's, there's nothing that ties them together to, to say what sound they make or to give them any sort of meaning or purpose. And I wonder for a lot of us, if, if this is how we approach Jesus, if this is what our spirituality looks like, then maybe we do all of the right things. Maybe we have a spiritual checklist and it looks really good. I mean, just, just a few examples up here. Maybe for you, on your list, you, you attend church. Obviously, you do because you're here right now. You attend church. Maybe you go on a missions trip. By the way, we have a Guatemala trip coming up next year. We have four people from our church going on that with a team of other churches. So really excited about that. Uh, maybe you're on another mission trip. I accidentally put that one twice. Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> two missions. You're super spiritual, man. Uh, maybe you serve. Maybe, maybe you had a behavior in your life, like an addiction or, or a pattern, and, and so you stop drinking or you donate to the poor, whatever it is. Maybe we all have these spiritual to-do lists. Maybe you're not a Christian at all, and your list just looks like a bunch of good things that you do. And here's what I want you to hear this morning is that this is what a Christian life without prayer looks like. Just kind of musical notes on a page that are just kind of floating there without meaning. They, they might be good, but, but in order for them to make sense, they need something that ties them all together. For musical notes, it's a staff. I still can't sing that, and it probably, I just randomly threw them on there, so it probably has no tune whatsoever. Trent, does that have no tune whatsoever? You tried it, it doesn't work. Jordan said it too. All the band members are like, wow, boo. Okay. <laughs> the point being is that in order for our lives, our spiritual lives, our, the whole of who we are, to make sense, like to find calm and rest, we need something that ties all of the things that we do together. We need a, a thing that grounds us. We need a baseline. And, and what I want us to talk about today, what I want to really dive in today is that for so many of us, we are good at doing for God. We'll do this and we'll do that, right? Like the notes on the page. But, but doing for God, don't miss this, doing for God minus being with God is a surefire recipe for burnout. I'm going to say that again. Doing for God minus being with God equals burnout. Do you find yourself chronically overextended? So busy, doing more than what your inner life can sustain. Do you find yourself getting mad or angry when other people maybe don't notice your accomplishments or, or what you've done? Or do you find yourself putting an unhealthy amount of weight on other people's opinions about you? Do you find yourself getting jealous of other people's successes or constantly pouring out of an empty cup? See, guys, prayer is not just another item. It's not just another musical note. It's actually the thing that ties everything else we do together. See, prayer is not about doing something simply for God. It's about being with God. 
And I want to look at today a story from Luke that I think is just such a powerful and beautiful example of what Jesus desires for us out of this. And so Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. So grab your Bibles or your uh, phone Bibles, your Bibles, Dan, <laughs> uh, and uh, turn with me to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke 10, verse 38, and we're going to read this, this famous story uh, together here. This is what it says. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed her, him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. So I love this story. I love this story because in some ways it reminds me a lot of Thanksgiving, right? So there's this gathering at Martha's house and all of the things need to be done, right? Maybe this last week you were part of all of the things that needed to be done. And so it's just do, do, do. Did I remember this? Did I remember that? And Martha is just kind of, she's running around the house doing all of the things. And uh, I love this because it's like Martha's in the kitchen and you have this, her sister Mary who's like sitting on the floor, maybe the Thanksgiving equivalent would be her sitting on the floor watching the lions or something, right? Watching them lose. Everybody's like, want, wants to get that out of their head. They're like, we have a Michigan State and a U of M win. We don't need the lions anymore. Uh, but this is not the picture of what's happening. In fact, Martha, she's running around and her desire, her genuine desire is to serve Jesus well. In fact, in, in the text here, Luke uses this word serve twice. She's serving, but he uses it kind of in an ironic way, because in Martha's mind, she was taking on the right role for her household. This was culturally what was expected of her, but her name actually means Lord, and Lord as in like master of her household, or like head of her household, or like keeper of her household. And so Martha is this woman who is being hospitable, she's serving Jesus, but she's doing it through hospitality, preparations, and movement. And what I love about how Luke says this is he says this. He says, Martha was distracted with much serving. That word distracted, literally translated, means drawn away. She was drawn away from Jesus because she wanted to serve him through all of her doing. Just like musical notes scattered on a page, she was doing all the right things. But that's not ultimately what Jesus was after. See, see, Martha's intention is not bad, but then she goes up to Jesus and she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me alone? And she's essentially like, tell her to help me. Like she commands the son of God. Jesus is like, excuse me? Uh, you know who you're talking to? And I love this. Because if you think about Jesus, his posture towards the world is one of serving. It's servanthood. But before it is ever about doing the things, it's first and foremost about being with God. You see, while Martha's hospitality is to be commended, her serving, her doing is not sufficient to sustain what's lacking inside. She's irritable. She's frustrated. She's short-tempered. She's anxious. She's uncentered. She's scattered. 
And I wonder if that is a picture of many of our lives. Do you ever feel like you are pouring out of an empty cup? Probably a lot of us do. I mean, we're at the stage right now with our kids where, like, story of our lives, right, where we're, we feel like sometimes we're pouring out of an empty cup, and maybe for you, burnout and exhaustion is just a part of your life that you do, do, do for Jesus or for others, but your doing exceeds your being with God. Your doing exceeds the, the time you're spending with God, and so you end up exhausted, and when we find our place on the edge of burnout or exhaustion, what can happen is we just get super critical of everyone around us. We get super critical of ourselves. We can get super short-tempered. We can become irrationally self-critical or walk out into the world with an extremely poor mood. Our minds can get quick to fill in the details about how flawed we are or how crappy our job is or how our family situation is tough right now. And what so often happens is when our doing exceeds our being, we're left exhausted and disconnected, like musical notes scattered on a page with very little meaning to tie them together. But then you have Mary. And what I love about Mary is she actually kind of bucks the system of what was expected of her, and she goes and she sits at the feet of Jesus. You know what Mary's name means? It's got two meanings. Number one is beloved, and number two is rebel. She is a beloved rebel. I love it. Any other beloved rebels in here? Just me? Okay, cool. <laughs> You're a beloved rebel, Laura. I love it. <laughs> um, but she, she takes on this posture of a disciple. This is what it means to sit at a rabbi's feet. It means to take on their teaching, to listen to their teaching, to really take on the position of a disciple. You see, at the core of Martha's effort to serve Jesus is movement and work and doing. At the core of Mary's desire to serve Jesus is what? It's being with him. It's presence. It's soaking in who he is. It's not just doing, doing, doing. Her effort to serve Jesus is relationship. And so that's why Jesus goes to Martha. Martha, Martha. Does anybody else have Brady Bunch vibes when you hear that? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> he says, Mary has chosen the better thing, and it cannot be taken from her. You see, Martha is striving. Mary, Mary's abiding. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And guys, here's what I'm here to tell you. Prayer helps us choose the better thing every single time. Prayer helps us choose the better thing. Prayer helps us move from this place of just striving and doing the right things and checking off the right boxes to actually a living, breathing, vibrant relationship with the creator of the universe. You know, maybe you have tension with a coworker right now. Have you brought that to Jesus? Have you just said, God, I, I don't have in me what it takes to resolve this situation? Have you, maybe you have tension right now or stress from a family situation. I know holidays dredge a lot of that up for a lot of people. Have you brought that to Jesus consistently? It's interesting. I, uh, I still get really nervous every time I get up here to preach. And I've been doing it for a couple of years, but I still get really nervous. And what I used to do with those nerves is I used to say, okay, I just, need to, I just need to prepare more. I just need to memorize more. I just need to study more. I just need to prepare more. And what I began to realize is that, no, 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 that's not the thing that I need to be able to get up here and preach the word of God. 
what I need to do to preach the word of God effectively is, yeah, do the study and yeah, you know, do the memorization and things like that. But most importantly is that abiding time with Jesus. Like for me, every single Sunday morning, I go to the Starbucks in Byron Center for a couple hours and it's just me and God just in prayer, just praying for you guys and praying over the message. And, and you know what it does for me? Like all of those kind of need to perform and anxiousness that is not of God, it just is settled. Like he carries that. And it helps me keep in mind that I'm not here to perform and I'm not up here to strive. I'm here to abide and so are you. You know, Jesus models us all the time. When we talk about Jesus, we love to talk about his doing, right? His miracles and his big things that he does. But in between every single one of those is Jesus who abides with his father, who rests with his father. In fact, I made a list from the Gospels of just all of the times Jesus does this. Actually, this isn't even like half the times. You could make several pages of this. But I just want to kind of run through these really quick and show you. Matthew 14, 23, Jesus went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Mark 6, 46, he went up on the mountain to pray. Luke 6, 12, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Mark 1, 35, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Don't try to write these down. We're going too fast for that. Luke 5, 16, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Matthew 26, 36, sit here while I go over there and pray. Luke 11, 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. Luke 4, 42, he departed and went into a desolate place. Why? To pray. Are we getting the point that Jesus' ministry was not simply fueled by what he did? His ministry was fueled by his time with his Father. His ministry was fueled by his being with God. Now, if there's anybody in the world that didn't need to do that, I would say it's Jesus, right? He didn't need to repent of any sins. He didn't need to submit anything to God as far as like sin issues or anything like that. He was all-powerful, all-knowing. Like if there's anybody who could have hit the snooze alarm a few times, it was Jesus. And yet his ministry is fueled, not simply by doing for God, that came out of his being with God. Do we understand this? Are we getting how important this is? And it didn't stop with Jesus. Like, like the 12 took this on. You see Acts 6, and what's happening there is the church is doing all of these great things. They're distributing food to the poor, and they're doing incredible things. And what the leaders of the church realized is they said, hey, we're getting so caught up in the doing that we need to have more people involved in the doing so that we don't neglect the being with God, so that we don't neglect making being with God, the teaching of the word and prayer, an absolute priority for everything that we do. You see, even when the church exploded in Acts, they didn't allow the demands of doing to interrupt the priority of being. May we never become a church that allows the demands of doing to get in the way of being with God. And the same thing happened as the early church kept going from there. If you know church history, you know the church suffered intense persecution like intense, where they were being put to death for their faith. And there was a group of people that we often don't talk about, but it's this group of people that said, when faced with persecution, you know what? I'm going to renounce the name of Jesus so that I can continue living. The early church called this group of people the lapsed. They were the people that said, you know what? The persecution is too intense. I'm going to distance myself from Jesus. 
And then what would happen with these people is when persecution subsided, when it calmed down, they wanted to re-enter the community of the church. And the church was left with this kind of tension of what do we do with these people? How do we allow them to re-enter community? And what the church began to realize is that they actually had focused on a spiritual pathway of too much doing at the expense of being. And so what they did is, in order to allow these people back into fellowship of the church, they created this brand new spiritual pathway where being was at the center of it. And it wasn't brand new. It was just getting right back to the way of Jesus. See, doing for God minus being with God equals burnout. When I was a kid, uh, my dad would always have a joke. I didn't ask him if I could uh, tell, tell this, but uh, he always had a joke where he'd say, the only reason I ever had kids was so they could mow the lawn and do chores around the house, <laughs> right? I wonder if that's how some of us view God. The only reason he has kids is for us to do chores and mow the lawn and help out around the house. Do, 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 do. I'm here to tell you God is not Gru, and you are not his minions, okay? We are his children. And doing for God minus being with God equals burnout. It is not by accident that it's that way. It is by design that God put longings inside of you. He'll put things inside of you that so often will go to other places to try to fulfill. Maybe it's meaning. Maybe it's belonging. Maybe it's purpose. And we'll, we'll go to a job to find security and safety. Or we'll go to a relationship to find belonging. And what God is saying here is he's saying, to be with me means that you find all of those longings met in me. You have a longing for safety and security? Good. I put that in you. But don't go to your job and don't go to your house and don't go to the political leaders to find that. Come to me to find that. You have a longing to be close to someone for friendship, for intimacy, for companionship. Find that in me first and foremost. You have a need for, to be listened, heard, understood. Find that in me. God created us. The very reason you were created was to live in communion and fellowship with him to bring him honor, and to bring him glory. He created us to feel a void when that need for communion with him is not satisfied. Think about this. If you know the creation story, you know God created over six days, right? And then on the last day, he created man and woman. And then the very first day that men and women were alive with God, the very full first day was the seventh day. What did God do on the seventh day? He rested, which means the very first full day that men and women were alive was spent in this deep Sabbath rest and communion with God. Did God give them tasks to do in the garden? Absolutely, 100%. He gave them dominion. He said, be fruitful and multiply. He, uh, he, had, them name, he had Adam name the animals. But all, even the tasks, even the doing in the garden was an invitation to partner with God and to be with God and to grow in communion with him. Can you imagine if, like, Martha was there naming the animals? You, they trot up right in front of her, and she's like, okay, this one's going to be called Busy Beaver, okay? And then, like, the next, this is so cheesy. Just bear with me for a second, okay? And then the next one comes up, and she's like, ants in my pants. That's what that one's going to be called. And then the next one comes up. Trent's like, oh, gosh, these are, like, hardcore dad jokes. My kids laughed at them, okay? And then the next one, early bird. That was a dumb one. And then the last one comes up, cat. God's like, what is that? I didn't make that. 
Just kidding. <laughs> Joke. I'm a little bit of a cat hater in here. But then Martha's like, God, we can't rest. I have my spreadsheet, and we're only 12% done naming the animals. Like, what, what is this rest thing? Like, some of us, that's how we operate. That's how we go through life. And I want to remind you that prayer is an invitation to choose the better thing with God. Prayer is not just another item to add to your religious to-do list. It is an invitation to be with God. Prayer needs to be the fuel for everything we do, not just the afterthought, not just the thing we remember to do before a meal. It needs to be the fuel that keeps the engine going. I want to share some hard truths about life with God that I think will resonate with you. The first one is this. You cannot give to others what you do not possess yourself. You cannot give to others what you do not possess yourself. If you're a parent in the room and the grind of raising kids who are, you're trying to teach them how to love Jesus, you cannot give to your kids what you do not possess yourself. Our church cannot give to the world what we do not possess ourselves. You cannot give to your job what you do not possess yourself. Think about any sphere of influence or um, season of life that you're in right now. You cannot give to others what you do not possess yourself. Number two, what you do is important, but who you are is even more important. Prayer cultivates who you are, not just what you do. Who you are, what you do is important, who you are is even more important. And then the last one is this, the state you are in is the state you give to others. The state you are in is the state you give to others. Are you carving space and time in your life to be with God? Are you more of a human doing or a human being? I want to fast forward a little bit and go back to Mary and Martha here. There's another interaction they have with Jesus in the Gospels. And this interaction is one that's a little bit different than the, than the first interaction. This interaction is when they had lost recently their dear brother Lazarus. And uh, in losing him, Jesus lost somebody really close to him as well. Lazarus was like a brother, a, a best friend of Jesus. And so Jesus arrives on the scene after Lazarus had already been dead for a few days. And he's, he's greeted by Martha running up to him. Same lady, same Jesus, same kind of uh, setup here. She runs up to Jesus. And uh, she, she grieves and she greets Jesus. And then she says something pretty interesting here. She says to Jesus, she says, if you were here, my brother would not have died. And then she essentially asks him, Jesus, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? And I want you to watch what Jesus says back to her. This is what he said. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, Though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. I love Jesus' response to Martha here. Jesus knows Martha has an anxious spirit. He said it in Luke. He knows Martha carries a lot of weight. And so she's 
running up to him, even in her grief. Have you ever seen someone grieving who just kind of masks it with all of the doing, right? All of the things. And, and he sees Martha, and he, he, I imagine him looking into her eyes, her anxious presence, her anxious spirit. He says, Martha, this isn't just about what I'm going to do for you. He doesn't say to her, I bring resurrection and life. He doesn't say, I can do resurrection and life. He says, I am resurrection and life. That Martha, I don't just want you to be after what I can do for you. I want you to be after who I am to you. My very presence is peace. My very presence is resurrection and life. He asks her this question, do you believe in me? Do you believe I am the one in full communion with the Father? Do you believe that all the Father says to me, I say to you, do you believe that the works the Father wants to do, he does through me, and do you believe that by the gift of the Holy Spirit, you too can live in communion with God? I shared this at the worship night we did uh, to open the series, but the Gospel of John alone records the statement, believe in me, 98 times in, in the Gospel of John alone. And we often think about this as like belief, right, head knowledge, but really, this word believe that appears over and over almost 100 times in the Gospel of John is actually a lot more about resting in Jesus, settling yourself in him. All of the chaos and all of the storms finding their peace in the person of Jesus. Believing in Jesus is a lot more about being with Jesus than just doing for Jesus. It has everything to do with settling your life in him trusting him with your day-to-day. And what I love about this interaction is shortly after Martha and Jesus speak, then Mary comes running out, equally grieving to her sister. And she says almost something identical, but Jesus' reaction is different. I want you to see what happens here in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. This is the same thing Martha said. But notice she falls at his feet, and when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with him, with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Why does one result in a loving lecture? and the other and the Son of God weeping? Because Jesus is interested in being with us. I don't know if we understand how profound that truth is, that before the doing, Jesus desires to be with us, to live in communion with us. And you don't have to read the Gospels very long to see this come up over and over and over again. It's his invitation over and over again. So prayer can't just be an optional item on our spiritual to-do list. I love this Oswald Chambers quote, that prayer doesn't simply prepare us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. I want to share that again. Prayer doesn't simply prepare us for the greater work. It is the greater work. It is about communion with God. And yet I understand that for some of us, The idea of standing before God, exposed, known, is one of the most terrifying things on the planet. 
Like the thought alone is probably terrifying. Like, God, I'm not worthy to stand before you. God, do you know what I've done? God, do you know the stuff, the junk, the anxiety, the baggage that I bring to this equation? God, I have nothing to offer except my junk. And that is the point. And that is the gospel. That because of Jesus, we can live in communion with God. That what is true of Jesus becomes true of you when you are in Christ. That you can bring your junk, you can bring your baggage, you can bring your anxiety, you can bring the stuff that nobody else knows, and you can come with humble confidence before God and name that. Ask him to carry it. Ask him to bear it with you. And so as we kind of close today, I want to just give you two practical, simple practices for doing just this. You want to know how to be with God? Last week, we talked about an acronym, P-R-A-Y. You can use that. This is kind of focused on the pause section, but here's what I want to encourage you to do if, if you're wondering where to start with this. Number one is this. Practice listening. Practice listening prayer. How do you practice listening prayer? Well, a great place to begin is the Psalms. Think about this. I mean, just you can almost pick any Psalm, right? Go to a psalm, and, and I'll just give you an example here of what listening prayer looks like. Psalm 23, one of the most well-known psalms. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. And then read it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God, where am I living right now out of lack? Can you expose that in me? Can you show me that? Because I believe, God, you are my shepherd, and I lack nothing in you. Listening prayer allows God to convict us and kind of dredge up those areas where maybe we believe or we're living in a way that we lack something. That's just one example. I mean, you can, this is what's so rich about this book. You can pray this book, and you can hear God speak, and you can watch him move in your life, and you know what begins to happen? Sometimes your situation doesn't change, but what happens inside of you is deep transformation. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Jesus communed with his father where he heard over and over again, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved, you are my beloved. And Jesus, I believe this, this is what empowered Jesus to walk out into a world that did not call him beloved. That it was in his time with his father where he was so deeply connected in prayer, where Jesus could walk out into a world that applauded him, that praised him, that followed him, that rejected him, that ultimately crucified him. That Jesus could walk out in a world that said, Hosanna one day and crucify him the next, and he could live into this identity that I am the beloved even when the world doesn't say I am. What is true of Jesus is true of you when you are in Christ. Maybe you live in a world that does not call you beloved. Listening prayer reminds us over and over and over again that we are beloved, that our anxiety and our anxiousness and our scattered brainness or whatever it might be, the places where we feel empty, those aren't found in finding the right relationship. Those aren't found in the right job situation. Those are found in the person of Jesus. Those are experienced in being with God. So that's number one, practice listening prayer. And then number two, I love this one. It's perfect for this week. Practice gratitude. Practice gratitude. One of the best antidotes for anxiety, worry, irritability is practicing gratitude. If you're anything like me, 
Some days gratitude is hard to find. <laughs> Anybody else? No? Okay. A couple of us? Like, I know it up here. I know I have a list of reasons to be grateful. Naming those before God in prayer helps them move to here to your heart, to actually start believing them, to live into them, to find rest in them. See, I, I know it in my head, but being with God and naming it helps it makes its way into my heart. And so I want to invite the band up here as we close this morning. And uh, I didn't really know kind of what to share as we close, other than just kind of what my November has looked like. Um, so we had a really busy year as a church. A lot of us know that. We did a big renovation, big small groups push, big October. I mean, just busy, busy, busy. We had a very, very intense year so far. And I remember sitting with uh, my mentor. Uh, his name's Brian Bloom. Many of you know him. He's the lead pastor at Frontline, uh, our sister church. And uh, I was just like, Brian, like, we're going into November. Like, what can I do next? Like, I'm just like, how can we move the mission? I'm so excited. I'm so excited. He said, maybe you just need to step back in November and just rest in gratitude. Just rest. Like, just enjoy what God is doing. Be grateful for it. Slow down enough to see it. And then I got COVID in November, <laughs> which was like a forced rest period for me, where I, I was able to just step back and say, God, thank you. Thank you for the stories that we're seeing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing through the essential store. God, thank you. You see, guys, if, if we are going to be a church that is a beacon of rest for the weary, it has very little to do with what we do and a lot more to do with being with God. Our church does not become a beacon of rest for the weary by doing and doing and doing for God. Yes, the doing comes out of the listening, but just by doing for God, we can become, or just by being with God, we become a beacon of rest for the weary. This place does. Our church does not show the love of Jesus with our community by simply doing, 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 disconnected from God. That's counterfeit love. If our lives just look like those musical notes with nothing tying them together, then we're just offering the world more noise. The best thing that we can bring to this world your circles is a relationship with God worth imitating a closeness with God a communion with God worth imitating I said at the beginning this is the first Sunday of Advent and Advent is the season where we celebrate God with us where we celebrate the presence of God where we live in anticipation and waiting and longing for God to move what better season than now for us to start putting some of this stuff into practice? To practice listening prayer, to practice gratitude, to name it, and to go out into this world not from a place of emptiness, of anxiety, of storms, of scattered brainness, but to go out into this world collected because of who Jesus is in our lives. Can we do that this season? Let me pray, and then we're going to respond in worship. God, we, uh, we just thank you so much for who you are. The gratitude is not <laughs> a day of the year. <laughs> gratitude is the posture of a heart. And so, God, we spend a moment this morning just 
thanking you. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you sent your son Jesus to become the most vulnerable, a little baby in a manger born into poverty and scarcity in a very dark world. God, we thank you that your presence brings light to that darkness. God, we thank you that you, your son lived a perfect life that we could not live. And God, we thank you that he died the death that we deserved. And God, I pray that we will, with everything we are, live as if Jesus' resurrection is true. And that begins with our communion with you, being with you, resting in you, finding our identity in you. God, may we hear your voice where other voices are loudest. God, may we be willing to put into practice this idea of just slowing ourselves down and coming before you in silence and solitude and just saying, God, what do you have for me today? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. God, where am I living out of lack right now? The Lord is a strong tower, a refuge, and the righteous run to him and are safe. God, where am I feeling unsafe? Where am I feeling unsettled? And how can I run to you? to find refuge. God, we love you. Even just now, <laughs> sitting in silence, it'll be the first time some of us experience this in a couple days. But we rest in this. We rest in you. And God, when we have tasted and seen that you are good, the only response out of that is obedience and worship. God, we thank you. We praise you. And this morning we respond in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. If you'll stand and join us.